The scripture this morning is from the book of Zechariah, chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regomelech, together with their men, to entreat the Lord by asking the priest of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous, and then Agev and the western foothills were settled? And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, said the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. The land they left behind was so desolate that no one traveled through it. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. This is God's word. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks be to God. Good morning, I'm... Uh... Doug Falls, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge Church, and it's great to be with you again in your living rooms. Thanks for inviting us in your living room or wherever it is that you're uh, watching today. Uh, we, as you can tell, are going through the book of Zechariah, and today we're in chapter 7, so uh, we're going to dig into that today. You know, I can tell you all day long that I love my wife, Ruth, and I can tell her all day long that I love her. But when her birthday rolls around, if I happen to get her, say, oh, I don't know, two tickets to the next stock car race at Charlotte Motor Speedway, wow, uh, or, or maybe a genuine St. Louis Cardinals baseball hoodie in their blue travel colors even, man, uh, or maybe for Christmas, say, I get her glass pack exhaust pipes for my Mustang, I mean, our Mustang, um, that would be awesome, right? Well... Now, as much as I would love getting all those gifts, I'm not sure that Ruth would love it quite so much. I think she would hear all of that as just so much self-interest on my part, right? Now, flowers or garden tools, even a bag of mulch would say love to her far more than any of those things. My failure to know that is a failure to love. In each of those cases, she would be quite justified in asking me, Doug, was it really for me? And as bad as that is, even worse is if our love for Jesus Christ, our Savior who loves us and gave himself for us, is expressed so poorly that he would have cause to ask me that question or ask you or us that question. Was it really for me? Especially since his word takes all the guesswork out of what it is that pleases him. In the book of Zechariah, God has brought his people back 
from Babylon, from uh, 70 years of exile. And now he gives them, in a sense, an opportunity for a reset, a reboot, a new start, if you will. God's program, as he especially points out in chapter 7 and next week in chapter 8, is for a wonderful, wonderful relationship between him and his people in the land where they were, will experience his blessings as they live for him, administering justice, showing mercy and compassion, so much so that the nations around them will want to worship God with them. He shows them all of this in these passages so he would not again have to ask, was it really for me? And brothers and sisters, I believe that we as the Church of Jesus Christ, Stonebridge in particular, but the church overall, are in something of a reset moment as well. As our nation and communities prepare to come out someday, please, <laughs> of the exile that you might call sheltering in place, where many have endured sickness and some the death of loved ones, where so many have lost jobs and income, and where we have all watched the centuries-long racial nightmare rear its ugly head again, if it had ever even really disappeared. We, the church, have such an opportunity to, for the healing of our nation as we live for the Lord and love on Him in the ways that He expresses here in this passage this morning. So as we dig in, let's go to Him in prayer and ask for His blessing as we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank You for Your Word you have loved us with an everlasting love, and because of that, you have revealed yourself to us. You tell us what you're like. You tell us how we can live for you, how we can be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ. And so for all those reasons, as we come to this passage and focus on a, a portion of it at least, we pray, Lord, that it would not return to you void, but as you promise, it would accomplish your purposes, your purposes in us individually and your purposes in us as your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in Zechariah 7, it's uh, basically a new day. Zechariah's wild night of dreams and visions in the first six chapters is over, and now it's nearly two years later. And we see in our passage that a delegation comes from Bethel, which is a town just north of Jerusalem, to inquire of the Lord, which is a good thing, of course. And they're inquiring about whether to continue to fast in the fifth month of the year. You see, the temple 70 years prior had been destroyed in the fifth month, and the people of God, uh, sort of on their own, had been fasting in that month every year since. But now that the temple is being rebuilt, they want to come and ask of the priests and the uh, other leaders in Jerusalem this question that we find in verse 3. Should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? But God answers their question, as he often does, with a question of his own. <laughs> he asks, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Was it really for me? That really is the question of all questions, isn't it? The people of God had mourned and fasted for some 70 years in the fifth month, but the Lord obviously is questioning whether it was really done for him or whether they were doing it out in some way or other of self-interest, much like me giving Ruth race tickets for her birthday. And we don't know for sure why. Maybe they were doing this fast to impress one another with how righteous they were, rather than mourning and fasting because of how their unrighteousness had gotten them exiled in the first place. Or perhaps they were fasting trying to get God to get them back to their homes more quickly. 
rather than fasting because God's home, in a sense, his temple, his house, the place where he received worship and adoration was no more. In either case, whatever the reason, God, God's question clearly seems to imply that it was a failure to love on their part in some way or another, hence the question. For while there's nothing wrong with fasting, of course, uh, if done truly as unto the Lord, God had not called for a fast, but he had called them to do something else. And in verses 8 to 10, he tells us what he had called for. Let's look at that. And there he says this, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, and do not plot evil against you. So we see in these verses here that God basically is giving us, in a sense, his gift list. These are the things that would please him. Uh, the things they had done, he ended up asking, was it really for me? This you could do really for him, of course, with the right heart intent still. But you might call this God's gift list here in this passage. Some of the things that do please God uh, and that he's particularly pointing out here. And so we're going to look at these three particularly, justice, mercy, and compassion, and then consider how they apply, especially to the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, and the poor, the vulnerable, really, in society. So let's take first justice. Now, you bring up the word justice, and many of us, Bible-believing Christians though we be, we get nervous. Let's be honest, we get nervous. And sometimes we try to come up with reasons to ignore what God says here. Let me give you uh, a couple of examples. Uh, for one, we might say things like, well, isn't this just an Old Testament issue? We see it in the Old Testament. Uh, many other places in the Old Testament, God is calling for justice. And uh, uh, maybe this is just an Old Testament issue, right? But uh, no, I'm afraid that's not true. If you go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, in describing Jesus and his ministry, it says, a bruised reed he will not break, and the smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. And at the end of the parable of the unjust judge, Jesus concludes with these words, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So it's not just an Old Testament issue, it's a New Testament issue as well. Now, another concern some people have is, what is with what has been called the social gospel. And the concern here is that many going out and trying to do justice in the name of the Lord have forgotten also to bring along the message of the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. And truly, that has been a problem uh, in many, many cases. But here's the question I would pose. Is the answer to this social gospel the unsocial gospel? <laughs> Uh, that is to talk about the love of Jesus Christ as far as forgiveness of sins, but then as Jesus put it to the Pharisees, to neglect the issues, the weightier matters of the law, as he calls it, of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And if you think about it, if we're not behaving in those sorts of ways, if we're not advocating for these things, we're undercutting the message of forgiveness of sin. Why would people believe in a loving God if his followers aren't loving and thirdly, some of you also might be thinking that the last thing we should be advocating or seeking is justice. I mean, before God, don't we all need grace and mercy instead? Absolutely. But here we're not talking about our relationship to God. 
We're talking about our horizontal relationships, how we treat one another. And God is saying that we should treat one another justly, with justice, and do what we can when we see someone else being treated unjustly to help them and to help that situation. Bottom line, like it or not, God is concerned with justice, and he calls us to be concerned about justice in this world as well, and to join him, to be his tools, in a sense, in making it happen. And really, all the concerns I mentioned, the three concerns I mentioned, are solved by the fact that the Lord mentions all three of these things, justice, mercy, and compassion, together. They're not contradictory. They are complementary. They go together. So let's move on to the other two words, mercy and compassion, and talk about them. The word translated mercy is uh, very interesting. It's the word chesed. You have to say that with a lot of throat stuff there. Um, Got to get your Hebrew going. But uh, hesed, many of you are familiar with that word. It gets at God's covenant faithfulness, his covenant love, the kind of love where God promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he's saying that's the kind of love and compassion and commitment and faithfulness he wants us to have towards one another and to our neighbor. And then the word compassion, and that really is a cool word. I, I love the word that's here. Uh, talking about compassion, translated compassion. It's talking about a love that comes from deep inside, that moves us, that causes, causes our heart to throb, our stomachs to do a flip, maybe. It's the word used when Joseph saw his brothers for the first time in decades. And he was so moved, so deeply moved, that he had to walk out of the room so people couldn't tell. It's what you see and what you feel yourself when you're watching the Uh, the musical Hamilton, and you see the part where Alexander is talking, singing to his wife, Eliza, and he says, I know I don't deserve you, Eliza. And then speaking of their deceased son, he says, if I could spare his life, if I could trade his life for mine, he'd be standing here right now, and you would smile, and that would be enough. One of the many powerful moments in that musical But of course, the example of compassion is our God. So many places in Scripture where we see the compassion of God come out, and particularly in the life of Jesus, right? In Matthew, it's described how Jesus went through all the towns and villages of Israel teaching and healing because his heart went out to them in in compassion. He saw that they were helpless and harassed. Jesus tells the parable of the father who when he saw his prodigal son returning, his heart was moved with compassion, and he runs to him and embraces him and kisses him. And when Jesus saw the people crying over the death of their beloved Lazarus, he was deeply moved with compassion, it says. And when they brought Jesus before the tomb, he broke down as well. That's the kind of compassion that is being described here in this passage. And so we see that our God is indeed a God of compassion, and he calls us to have that same sort of heartfelt love for people around us, our neighbors, to be instruments of justice, steadfast steadfast faithfulness, and to express that kind of love in the world around us, which so needs it so desperately right now. And particularly to show all of that to the vulnerable, the ones who are the most vulnerable around us, those who need it the most, like the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, and the poor. For you see, God's heart beats for the vulnerable. 
In one sense, that's every one of us. That's you and me and everybody because the wages of sin is death. That's pretty vulnerable. <laughs> the wages, that's what we have earned and that's where the, our situation apart from Christ. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. His heart goes out to us in that sense. And in order to give us this gift, Jesus becomes the vulnerable one. When he came to us, he was poor, born in a stable. He was homeless. Foxes have their dens, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He was the ultimate foreigner because he came from heaven. And that claim, as much as anything, is what got him crucified. And finally, he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's why at the end of all things, he will welcome us into his kingdom because of how we treated him. That is, how we treated him when he was hungry, thirsty, a foreigner, naked, sick, and in prison. Because the way we treat folks in those situations is how we're treating him. So truly administering justice, showing mercy and compassion, loving our neighbor is on God's gift list. It is a major way, not the only way, but a major way we express our love to God. So what does all this mean for us? How do we put this all into practice? What does it mean practically speaking? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, I really do believe, and others have said it in different ways, different contexts, that our nation is in an amazing reset moment here. And it's a wonderful opportunity for the church to reach our nation with the gospel. Now, what can you do? I, I want to propose a couple things. One's very simple. Simply, uh, one of the most rewarding and simplest things to do is to go to our website, first of all, uh, stonebridge.org, and take advantage of the dozen or so every week opportunities we have to serve. Uh, you'll notice at the bottom of our page there that uh, green banner, click here for service opportunities. Just go to our website, click on that banner, and you'll find all sorts of uh, ways to serve the vulnerable in our communities. Everything from making masks, to distributing food, to uh, various apartment complexes in our area, uh, and finally to uh, running errands for neighbors who dare not go out right now with all this pandemic stuff going on. But I'd like to offer at least one other possibility, one that excites me to no end, honestly, as I think about what God could do through his church, through us even. Maybe you've noticed, I don't know, that there's a problem with race relations in our nation right now. Wouldn't it be something if 20 to 30 years from now, people would look back on this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year, 2020, that we all are complaining about justly, right? <laughs> Wouldn't it be something if in the days ahead people would look back and say, this was when, when the nation needed it, the church of Jesus Christ rose to the occasion and brought healing in a way we haven't seen before. Now, for some of us, as soon as race gets mentioned, we want to point out all the problematic things about them. It's not us, it's them, whoever them is in your case, right? They've made their own problems, they've got to solve them. Or they're the problem, not me. Or they've got to own their own part in this. Or other things. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, every bit of that is true. Rather than abdicating us of any responsibility here, it simply shows how great the need is for us to be the church. How much our nation needs the love of Christ rather than blame 
or excuses. And for some of us, we'd like to think that racism only rears its head in isolated cases. Sorry. Extreme situations such as the killing of George Floyd. Maybe, but maybe not. Just a few weeks ago, an African-American family in our own church that I know and that many of you know well, uh, were at, a, at the beach for a vacation, a week-long vacation. They go into a restaurant. Uh, they stand there for a few minutes at the door. A woman comes from the back to start to seat them, takes one look at them, though, turns around, walks to the back, and is never seen again. A few minutes later, another woman comes out, greets the family, takes them to a table, and then walks away, but the family notices the table hasn't been cleared off, the table hasn't been cleaned, so they wait for a moment, they wait and figure, well, they're going to come back and take care of this, right, so we can sit down at this table, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they finally just leave. Folks, that makes me mad. <laughs> uh, I've had bad service before, but I've never had that happen to me, and I can bet you can bet that that wasn't the first time this family experienced something like that. And yes, this is 2020. So you say, okay, what can we do then? This problem's been around for 400 years, right? What can we do that could possibly make a difference? Well, we talk a lot here at Stonebridge about building a bridge of grace for God's glory. I hope you saw Brent Jones, Brent Jones mentioned in Instagram and on Facebook about a week ago about how just walking across a room or walking across your own yard to someone who looks different and just ask them, how are you holding up given all this going on these days? One of our staff members told me about how that he was challenged to do just that a while ago and has a neighbor who looks different. And so at garbage day, you know, they happened to be out there and started talking and asked that very question and build a bridge of grace that didn't exist before, and now there's a connection that wasn't there before by that simple question. And I'm going to share a couple of stories of my own experiences of, of late, but not to say, do what I'm doing because I've got it all figured out. Folks, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, just the opposite. But I do remember what Kevin preached about from Chronicles a few weeks, a couple months, I guess, by now. Uh, when King Jehoshaphat prayed, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And if our eyes are on him, I think we'll start making some progress. Uh, one story, uh, my daughter Jenny and I were at a, a breakfast restaurant I hadn't been to before. She had uh, bragged on it and how great it was, so we went together and had uh, breakfast. And uh, our server was an African-American woman, uh, late 20s, I would guess. I'm horrible with uh, age. But anyway, uh, we got talking. I complimented her on whoever chose the music. It was some songs I really liked, and we got talking, and sort of a little connection got built there. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I just sort of leaned over at one point as she came up another time. And I said, I hope you don't mind me asking, but how are you holding up given all this going on these days? She was so taken aback, and she just said, I'm just glad to be working again so I can take care of my children, and thanks for asking, and she teared up right there. It was amazing, and uh, she said, I'm sorry, and she had to walk away, and I'm, I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you cry. I'll pray for you, you know, and uh, it's like, how did that simple little question do that? Maybe it speaks to how there is more of a problem out there than we realize, Another situation, I was at the gas station one day filling my car with gas, and uh, 
another car pulled up. It was a uh, Mustang, really hopped up. Again, it's not no, no secret that I really enjoy Mustangs and all. And so he had one, neat tailpipes, nice wheel covers and all that. And so when I finished pumping gas, I thought, I'm just going to do it because the guy who had walked out of the car looked fairly different than me. He, uh, his skin was a different color. Uh, he was a lot younger than me. He had long dreadlocks and, well, you know. Uh, so needless to say, we were very different kinds of folks, but we both drove Mustangs. I thought, I'm just going to go for it. So I put the pump away, walked over, and I said, hope you don't mind me asking or mentioning this, but wow, you've got a really cool ride. What year is your car? Sure enough, we just started talking. And he talked about how it was a 2007 Mustang, the money he had spent on it to do what he had done. And he asked me about my car. What year is yours? What engine do you have in it? And all this other stuff. And we had this connection going. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, kudos to him, too, because here's this old cracker, you know, coming over. He doesn't know who I am, talking to him. And we had this little bit of a connection. And at some point in that conversation, though, I noticed his T-shirt. His T-shirt, and literally this, it's not a euphemism, no one freaking cares. I thought, dang, why does somebody wear a T-shirt like that? And I hoped that, you know, just maybe that guy thought maybe somebody cares. So the point is that maybe, just maybe, such interactions can heal the wounds that are clearly in our nation right now. Maybe it can heal them just a little. Maybe we can break down the walls just a little. Build a bridge of grace just a little. And maybe, little by little, the love of Christ will close the gap and bring about the healing that only he can accomplish. Now, folks, there's a lot more to be done, and we're going to be talking about some of that in the days ahead. But the good news is that we can't do this on our own. We can only do this as the Lord strengthens us, and the good news is he wants to do that, particularly as we are living according to his gift list. As a really neat guy whose ministry I've known for many, many years, John, John Perkins wrote, the problem of reconciliation in our country and in our churches is much too big to be wrestled to the ground by plans that begin in the minds of men. This is a God-sized problem. It is one that only the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can heal. It requires the quality of love that only our Savior can provide. But he wants to provide it, and he will provide it, brothers and sisters. Or, as Zechariah 4, 6 says, It is not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, how we thank you so much for your love for us in Christ. Though we were your enemies, Christ came and gave his life. Lord Jesus, you came and gave your life for us. Lord, help us to even love our enemies, which is what you call us to do and in the ways that you have mentioned here. But Lord, we know that we are too small <laughs> to do this on our own. But you have promised, Lord, to strengthen us, to give us the gifts we need, the power we need to do the things you call us to do. And Father, how awesome it would be to see that you would make such a difference in our world as we, your church, act as the church. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that your desire is to do awesome and wonderful things in our nation. Lord, help us to have that same desire and trusting in you that you would do these things. Father, we pray, as we're about to sing, that you would tune our hearts to sing your grace, not only to you in worship, but to you as we serve you in the world that needs you. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs> 